This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern light. Welcome to episode 54 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm sitting on the ice across from Joe Fredericks. We're here in the ice shack. I'm here with Matthew Baxley. It's Thanksgiving Day. If you choose to celebrate it. We're out here ice fishing. We've got skates. We've got fish on the ice. We've got tip-ups popping. We're running around on bare ice in our boots, sliding like we're sliding into second base. (laughs) It's perfect ice. Four to five inches and clear. You can see the reefs and see the bottom of of the lake and patches of snow. Perfect for ice fishing and ice skating. So you just heated up some water. We're here in the shack. We haven't even... its It was single digits when we came out. It was 8 degrees yep. when we left uh, Thanksgiving up the Gunflint Trail. Not much activity on the trail. Certainly nobody out on the lake. And just past one truck on the drive up. So 40 miles, one other person. It's sunny. Bluebird skies. The quiet of real winter has settled. I don't think I've heard a bird or a sound other than the popping and the cracking of the ice. A few times felt it all the way up through my feet. That's right. And it was windy when we got here, certainly. It kind of comes and goes, some gusts, but we're protected now in the shelter, and it is perfect. We're not even running heat, and it's still, it's maybe 12, 13 degrees probably outside. Exactly. And it is a day where many people all over are celebrating things that they're thankful for, for family. But the reality of our world today is that there is so much abundance in our lives. That's right. We've got everything we want. We're going to make some sandwiches out here on the ice. We're going to, this evening, eat fish tacos, uh, some northern five filet method that we've talked about in the past. And we're really embracing this early winter hunting, fishing, just using the land, not backing off from it in winter, and in fact, stepping into it. There is so much that the season holds. Beyond canoeing, you pass that sort of blissful time of canoeing, and you get into the cold, and the cold gets colder, and the cold gets colder. Moves us through all sorts of sportsman seasons, all sorts of temperatures. And now, we're going to hear from a very special guest, Timo Rova, who 
has some pretty amazing stories to tell about the abundance of the land here in the Boundary Waters. We're going to keep fishing. Matthew, you're going to head out on your skates, it sounds like, here in a few minutes. And we're going to check back in throughout the episode. It's Thanksgiving, and we're grateful to be out here in the Boundary Waters once again, ice fishing two years in a row. Absolutely amazing. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Timo Rova. We are connected from the east end of the wilderness over to the Echo Trail, where Timo lives near Burntside Lake on, well, I'll let you tell us a little bit about where you're talking to us from. Welcome to the podcast, Timo. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I live right off the Echo, uh, Burnside, Minister Lake area, just about six, seven miles north of uh, Ely. Well, I'm excited for our conversation today. You have had a robust uh, life uh, in connection to many different wild places. And today we're talking about the Boundary Waters as the wild place for this conversation. What would you like our audience to know about you, Timo, and how you got your start as a lover of the Boundary Waters Canary Wilderness? Okay, well, my dad and his side of the family has lived in the Ely area since they came over from Finland. My grandpa was born here. I'm not sure if he was the first kid born here. He was the last kid, but meaning one was born in Port Arthur, and I think the other one was born in Finland, and they came over, and he was born in Ely in 1895. I think it was. And his father was quickly killed in an underground iron ore tragedy. So he was raised by other family. They were all from northern Finland, the far north of it. And there was a bunch of our relatives at boarding houses. And they lived off of the land quite a bit of what now is the Boundary Waters. And then my grandma on my dad's side, she was raised in what's now the Boundary Waters. Our homestead was in the wilderness, right out near the edge now, kind of where Outward Bound is, they would row a boat up with a little Guernsey's cows in it to their homestead because there wasn't a road into there at that time. But uh, that was taken in 66 for the Wilderness Act. So I have a connection there. Um, I didn't grow up in Ely, but I visited all the time because my grandpa lived here and other relatives. And we have a family cabin on Burnside Lake that that's uh, quite old, been in the family for a long time, and a lot of history in, on that side of the family from there. But I was raised in Minneapolis, but I would come up, and then I went to college at UMD, so I could be closer to the North Shore and the Ely area, and I've worked for the DNR in the Graham Ray Cook County area, doing this, cutting the original Superior Hiking Trail. I worked at Wilderness Canoe Base at the end of the Gunflint, and I was the FMO of the Gunflint District in Graham Ray for two and a half years and, you know, did other work there at times. And then, um, but I always had the family connection to Ely and always coming here. And I ended my Forest Service career being here, but always doing canoe trips and hunting in the deer hunting in and around the Boundary Waters and fishing, sauna, you know, the whole bit. Yeah, you have grown up really immersed in this place through your, it sounds like through your childhood and your really formative years. 
you were spending a lot of time up here. What do you remember about those early years as a young person? What was your experience like uh, becoming accustomed to this area, especially having your roots in, in an urban area? There used to be a lot more people in the woods. That's what I remember. I remember all those old timers. Um, when I moved to Montana for 20 years, most of them died. And they were people that were born in the late 1800s to the early 1900s. And they're like my grandpa's age and his cousins or, you know, my dad's uncles and aunts. And they would travel a lot more in the boundary waters in the winter and other places on trails. The woods were way different. It burned. Some areas have been logged, but it was a lot more open. And they spent a lot more time in there picking berries, trapping fishing and hunting. And I grew up on those stories and those stories are what from a young age just got me going. And like, I want to be that person. That's the stories of, I bet you they've been doing that same thing back in uh, Northern Scandinavia. My family has been for ever too, you know, doing the same thing, sitting around a fire or a sauna telling stories. So it's the stories. And um, that's what I remember is people were very, involved in the woods, not just on canoe trips, but going and going somewhere to harvest cranberries and shoot ducks and then coming back with those, that kind of thing. Yeah, it has a very different feel of uh, the wilderness being connected, not not solely as a recreational experience, but as a livelihood, as a way of life in your family history. Is that feel? Is that how it felt? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it was, they felt part of it, not just a visitor. They lived there. Um, I'm not going to say they were like the Native Americans that were there during and before that time that were really, truly living out there, um, migrating and, you know, moving with the seasons to, you know, the shore to basswood and then to lakes to wild rice, but very similar. Wild ricing, berry picking, you know, all those getting firewood, building your house or your cabin or your hunting shack from trees right there. You know, it was more connected. And that's what I, I want is a connection. I don't want to just visit. And um, every place I've lived, I've tried to find that, you know. I, I do know. And, you know, that's one of the things that brought us together for this conversation, Timo, is, you know, the season right now is one that is really connected for you in regards to um, hunting and um, this way of living that is a part of your ancestry of getting out and um, feeding yourself, your family uh, off the land. Let's get into that topic. Uh, so not a lot of people get to hunt this area, but you are one of those people that do. What's it like for you uh, carrying on that tradition uh, in this area? You know, some of the other things we like to do right at this time of year, too, I just got to put in is like net whitefish and, and these things. That, and you can get copious amounts of wonderful meat. And that's what we're after if we if we get down to it. But the experience of being together. But we've hunted from up by Crane Lake on the far western side of Lac LaCroix, all the way over to the end of the Arrowhead Trail and places in between trying to find 
places to hunt. And the woods keeps changing with blowdown events and fires and people buying land and building cabins right in certain areas or homes, you know. So we've moved around a lot. And I, I would say my, my uh, experience or my group's experience, speaking for them, is um, that of incredible joy when it's good and it's on. It seems like when it's on, we're seeing them with these big dry periods, these deserts where we're hardly seeing a track. We're hardly seeing an animal. And this country is hard to hunt. It's hard to plan for. Deer migrate. So you could have had deer in that area for a while and either a weather event or some predator influence moves them out for a bit or for the rest of the season. And so it was a lot of trial and error and a lot of listening to stories. Like when I was a young man, I went and asked my great aunts and or uncles and that like, well, when do you find deer up in Basswood or on, you know, up on Grassy Lake or, you know, how do you do it? And they didn't give a lot of hints, but they gave some like, oh, that empties after we get this much snow and they're gone. So it was gathering that knowledge and experience and keeping a mental notebook and also having plans to hunt right on the edge of the wilderness so that we could get deer also. So we didn't lose hope. So we do forays in and then we come out closer to Ely or the development along the Gunflint Trail and be able to get a few deer. So, you know, kind of keeping it going. We bought a wall tent first. We started with the teepee and we're on like our third wall tent for hunting in here. We use it for elk hunting out west and, you know, antelope hunting on the prairie. But we've been doing it for 30 some, 33 years now, my group of friends. So it's been fun. The sun has drawn awfully close to the horizon line of trees here in the Boundary Waters. And it's been a beautiful day. You've been out skating, Matthew. I had tip-ups popping. Still just that one pike. Probably had a walleye hitting the jig, too. Uh, some been getting cleaned a few times. But it's not frustrating because it's just the first time of the year and there's still a good hour of prime fishing left. 45 minutes to an hour left. And we've already got some fillets in the bag for fish tacos tonight for our Thanksgiving dinner. So we're we're set as it is. It's really incredible that it is the end of November. There's so much ice on the lake and we're just surrounded by so so much beauty. As the sun draws down, as I said, the temperature is shifting and the lake is just releasing a chorus of sounds that vibrate up through our feet. And, you know, it's one of my favorite things about this time of year is the way the soundscape changes and the way the landscape certainly changes. Uh, All that color turns into blues and faded whites and... It's just a good season. Yeah, it's going to be a cold night. It's probably 7, 6 degrees, something like that right now, and it'll be dropping as we head out of here, but it's a relatively it's a easy enough portage that uh, we'll kind of be working hard enough pulling the gear and stuff that feel pretty good, actually. 
but with the wind it's probably below zero wind chill I better it will be as cold as it is and being a holiday I know we're not the only ones out today it's a vast wilderness area wouldn't be surprised if Timo himself is out on some ice over in the Ely area or somebody uh, between here and there has found a nice comfy spot maybe caught some fish as well it certainly is a vast area to enjoy right I hope somebody's out there on Thanksgiving and uh, really enjoying your conversation in fact let's jump back into it we've got some camp things to get rolling here or fish fish shack duties and so forth I think you were gonna head out for another skate and We'll be dialing it in for one last go with the lines in the water, and we'll check back in over some fish tacos. I don't get the sense that you're crawling up in a deer stand and sitting around for long periods of time. So what is it like hunting near, in, and around the edge of the wilderness? Are you stalking? Are you paddling? Are you on foot? Tell us a little bit what that's like. Well, it's a little bit of all. We'll bring a few portable deer stands. And now that saddles have come in, we're using those some. So we keep up on some of the gear. Um, honestly, five bucks that I can think of right now. Well, no, two were does back when you could shoot does. Some of my friends have just climbed big white pine and just kind of hung on to branches and gotten 30 feet up in a big old white pine on a knob. And because they saw a sign around it and have shot deer out of them. But we're getting older and, you know, that's not as common. We bring a deer stand or now these saddles and we'll put them up. If we find a good area, we'll run back to the boat, canoe, grab it, camp, whatever, and bring it, put it up. We do a lot of drives using canoes where you paddle down, drop someone off, paddle beyond them, dropping people off. They get up on, you know, the Western part of the boundary waters is great because we have a lot of topography. We have the the shield exposed, kind of like up on Sag or, you know, Gunflint and Past on the trail. But um, so there's points you can get. And then we'll do drives to each other. Um, but probably the main way we hunt is still hunting, where we all just say, hey, I'm going to go over. And we have little names for areas for all our different places, like Ed's Ridge or, uh, you know, the Berry Swamp or what have you, the Knob. Jack Pine Knob, and we'll we'll go off in different directions, and sometimes we'll meet for lunch and have a fire and cook up something. A lot of times, something quite wonderful, and boil up a a pot of cowboy coffee, and then disband and go back. And it's different people have different speeds. It tends to be the slower you move, the more deer you shoot. Um, I do think that a lot of times my friends that come from urban areas, it takes them about two or three days to slow down. They're either going to have to be lucky or, you know, it takes that long to slow down. And so, so we do a bunch of all of it. Yeah. I get the sense just picking up on some of the things that you're alluding to that you are traveling in and maybe building a base camp with your wall tents, you're moving on foot or canoes. And that one of the main features the two features I'm hearing is slow pace and versatility in this style right. of hunting that you engage in. 
And yeah. I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind telling us how your season went this year uh, in regards to, did you feel like it was success? Did What was the high, some highlights from this year's hunting season? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't want to give too many of our hints away, but <laughs> of course, most of the most of the Bounty Waters is really thick and becoming less and less favorable for deer and moose even. Uh, disturbance is needed. And the main disturbance that would be good would be fire. So we tend to go hunt areas where there's been fire or some kind of disturbance or right close to it, either in Canada or on right outside of the wilderness, there's been some activity, a logging, fire because that, that brings the new browse and it opens it up enough that we can see them. Because most of the Boundary Waters, you can't now walk through the woods. But um, this season, we uh, hunted some disturbed areas that had had, you know, successional changing disturbances and or the edges of those. And we didn't see a lot of deer. We saw some, but we didn't see. And I had reports from some very good hunters that I know that go up onto other big lakes and uh, in the B-Dub that it was like a desert. And so we're all trying to figure that out. Is it the COVID killing them? I mean, it was a great winter last year. And the DNR saying two winters ago was tough, but I don't think it was. My deer seemed to be doing good, but we aren't seeing much deer sign. Maybe with the new fires we had and up in the Quetico that burnt, maybe that'll help moose and deer numbers come up and that'll affect our site. Um, we were really surprised. Also, it was very warm the first five, four or five days. And those deer are still thinking it's the old school hunting where November's cold and a foot of snow. And we haven't had much of that for years, you know, the climate thing. And so they weren't moving. That could have been a little bit of it. Um, we had people that hunted three days, four days and saw nothing. And we got um, a few animals in the B-dub and uh, or right on the edge. And um, that was really a lot of fun. And bring him out in boat and canoe. Put him at your campsite and uh, drinking coffee over a fire in the morning before you head out right before light and coming back and sitting around a fire and eating these great meals. It was a success, but for deer, it was a little tough. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure over the years you've seen an ebb and flow in that regard, uh, successful seasons and unsuccessful seasons. And it sounds like the way that you approach that is trying to figure out how to adapt and how to read the wilderness and how to understand the signs on what trends are coming. And I imagine that's part of the, the joy of it for you and the folks you get out with. Right. Um, we used to hunt the end of the Gunflint Trail quite a bit, and we did really well there for a while. And then I had some really hard winters and some other things, and there was we were seeing nothing. So then we, we were not afraid to go like the old timers and leave. That's the thing, beauty of public land is you don't have to stick around. It's not like you own it. You just, you move to where the things are. And so we, we've moved a few times because of either development. Someone comes in and a big chunk we're, we're putting our, our, stand, our camps up on close to the wilderness or, you know, outside for that time we're outside, but close, you know, gets bought and sold and all of a sudden 
15 houses go in there. You know, that's Bennett or like the end of the Gunflint Trail. Things changed and you couldn't hardly find a track. So you move. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's exciting to me and it's definitely, I think, stirring up a lot of imagination around what's possible uh, for those of us that live near here and hopefully, um, you know, just stirring up the excitement for all those who are, you know, making the most of their own land or public land in their areas, folks that are listening to this and getting excited. And I, team, I think it's worth, you touched on this at the beginning. So I just want to come back to it real briefly that there are so many ways to enjoy this season. And you talked about some, uh, gill netting, uh, before we hit record, we were talking about skating the ice. So what, what are some of your joys here going into the month of December and the holidays? What, what do you really enjoy about the wilderness this time of year? Well, I, you know, when rifle season ended a few days ago, I was very sad. I cleaned my rifle. I carried it out in Montana. I carried it here. I've been carrying it for a, a month. And I was like, I want to carry this longer because I look at the world different. And I, I thought, you know, my favorite time of the year so far, it's starting to change a little because now I'm retired, but um, was like from August 28th, August after August 25th till the New Year's because it was just so much change and it was so beautiful and there's so many things to do. And I love this going into December. I still archery hunt. I love muzzleloader season. I've muzzleloadered. Uh, wearing skates, going up creeks, and then put on my mucklucks when I get up to a place. And you can pull a deer out really easy that way. But you can access these swamps. I love December because there's hardly anyone around. Like you start off hunting and the loons are calling and birds are all around. And by the time you end right around, right before Christmas with muzzleloader or Christmas with your bow, maybe you hear ravens. And that's it. Maybe a, a Canadian jay comes down if you kill something and finds your thing. Maybe you see a mink, I mean, a marten. And so it changes. What I love December is muzzleloader hunting, doing a little archery. If it's dry enough, sometimes we still go look for cranberries, but skating, the first times you go skiing, going and cutting a Christmas tree. And uh, it's, Sometimes it's a great time to cut some firewood if there isn't a lot of snow and get it out just enough to get, get some going and for the next year. And I don't know, it's dark. I think that's, I, I crave a part of the season where it's dark and I like that. I certainly relate to that. It has an effect on the mind and the body that at least for me, it continues to slow me down and, and turn me a little more introspective. And I yep. think for some people that is a challenge to the season and, and it does have its challenges, but it's, there's a beauty to it. Sounds like you've embraced this. Yeah. The sunsets and sunrises are so incredible. The dark is introspective, a little bit of melancholy, but that's great because it's the season for that. And I, I find I get really creative in different ways than I do at summer solstice where it's, it's just frantic. You're just going, trying to use all that time. You can hardly sleep because it's light so much. Yeah. And, um, and everything's buzzing, literally bugs, you know, and everything. <laughs> but um, this is the opposite and it's beautiful and I love it. And you know, time to cut meat, 
and I, I smoke a lot of my meat or can, and um, there's time to do it because you have long evenings. Timo, I can't, I think that is a beautiful way to sort of wrap this conversation up. And I want to thank you for sharing your passion and your joy of the wilderness with our podcast listeners. And just getting to know you recently, I can tell that you have a wealth of experience and knowledge, and we would be so grateful to continue to have you back to share uh, your experience and passion with us. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Have a real good one. Matthew, it's a great perspective about all of the numerous things that can take place in the Boundary Waters. And as we discussed today, coming out on Thanksgiving welcomes us at all seasons. It really does. has a lot to offer, as evidenced by how tired I am now at the end of the day today. Yeah. I couldn't have been a more full experience it's it's the right kind of tired we've got an extra bag of fish in the fridge that will be gifted and we've got uh one last taco each on the plate speaking of full (laughs) (laughs) fish tacos on thanksgiving boundary waters fish uh making out the meal here and it was just such a great end to the day the whole day was spectacular but that final hour catching some getting hooking into walleye and you're doing the loops on your skates the sun's down the colors the colors it was so amazing the you know after the the sun dropped below the horizon and all the different plates you know, the shifting plates of ice out on the lake, they all, because they were all at slightly different angles, were taking on different hues of blue. Yes. Creating just this, you know, collage of blues across the ice until it, like, the reflection kind of turned a little orangish mm-hmm. in the distance. It was really a blissful experience <laughs> flying around on that ice, uh, watching you kind of toil away for our dinner (laughs) so thanks buddy (laughs) (laughs) no it's great and uh really a marvelous two years in a row now out on the ice on thanksgiving and so grateful for that opportunity to be out there and said thanks to the lake thanks to the boundary waters thanks to the fish right yes absolutely pulling the sled out not much snow so it's a little challenging to get a sled on through a portage but just barreling ahead yeah you know we clicked the headlamps on just as we stepped off the lake and onto the portage it was that perfect time to end and you know headlamp darkness walk all the way out just a really great way to end a really full day right it's been spectacular great conversation too matthew fun episode we're moving into the final month of the year season five on the doorstep and uh just full of gratitude on this this wonderful day and in the boundary waters thanksgiving yeah huge thanks to all of you our listeners we're so grateful for you and we're grateful that because of you we get to make this podcast 
And it's really cool to continue to be connected to you all because we all share this place that we're really grateful for in these types of experiences. So wishing you all well right now as we move into the darker months of the winter. That's right. Uh, let's do a water mug cheers to that. And uh, woohoo! The boundary orders! Wait, I know you said you're tired, but dude, you just took a huge chug of hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your water mug, it's the hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I just sing when I paddle through. Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. Out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar. Roll me, rock me in my dreams. You can roll me, rock me in my dreams. So I like to sing, I love to dance. I play the fool if I got the chance all around. Campfire light all around the campfire light all around all around all around the campfire light.